vital America's greatest cultural legacy. So join me, Mike Jakovic, for new jazz excursions. Alternate Saturday mornings from 10 a.m. to noon on WIOX Roxbury. Live and local in the Catskills at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable, Channel 20. Streaming at WIOXradio.org and on all your smartphone radio apps. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi, and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones and also with a Radio Garden phone app. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. John, how's it going? I'm fine. How are you? I'm well. You know, it was pretty warm Monday. Got up in the 70s down in the Walk Hill Valley where I was hunting. Yeah. Crazy, man. I know. It's pretty rare in November you can walk into a tree stand in a T-shirt. I packed in my clothes. Yeah, I probably should have done that. Um, I was lazy, and I didn't feel like it because I don't really own, I realized, like camouflage pants or shirt. Like everything is for cold weather. Oh, yeah. And then I have my string, my bowstring, tucked in my pocket in a certain way that I didn't feel like taking it out and putting it in something else. So I just walked in there, and, like, I was actually okay until I got to the tree stand and you start climbing. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm really hot, man. It took, like, a good hour and a half to cool down. <laughs> you know what did it for me? Yeah, same thing. But I, I walked in. I was trying to, you know, maintain my temperature. Walked in uh, with my clothes on my back. And I uh, got dressed at the bottom of the tree. I climb up. I realize I forgot to clip the string to my bow. Oh, yeah, that sucks. And it was one of the high climbs. I usually don't climb this high. This tree it was just perfect. Got, the, the higher you got, the better it got. You got to go all the way down. So I was like 22, 24 feet up, and I had to go all the way down, then all the way back up again. Yeah. And then I overheated. I was dripping, yep. dripping sweat. 
Oh, yeah. You ever drop your bow out of your tree? I've done that once. I did that once when I was younger, yeah. Yep. Did yep. that once like 15 years ago. Any damage? No. Yep. No it's damage. Same with me. I was surprised. I was young. It was this bow I don't even have anymore. Uh, I shot a tree. I was like, you got you to shoot it just to tell, you know, if you got knocked off or something. <laughs> there was, I wasted a bra. I wasn't even thinking. I was so mad. I, uh, it was a, oh, there was a white birch in front of me and I stepped out 20 paces and the little, found a little black spot on the white birch and shot it and nailed it. But then I realized I couldn't get my arrow out. I could take you to that tree to this day. It's still there. Uh, my arrow, I can unscrew, but the broadhead's in there. There's a little scar that the tree has now absorbed that broadhead. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I still have that bow. Stain bow. Yep. I was pissed. I think what happened was it hit some branches on the way down and kind of cushioned it a little. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, that's done. You ever get up in the tree and realize you don't have your trigger release? I don't do and this it, anymore. But and it's at the to. truck? Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Or just, forget at home, and you just drove half hour. <laughs> and that's it. You go home. <laughs> Your wife's like, why are you home at 730? Oh, yeah, those are the worst. Those are bad. No, you got. There's a very important mental checklist, and it usually, in rifle season, it just includes, you know, some water. Yeah, bullets and and a gun. Headlamp's the, important. All all there's a everything else is important. That's in my pack. No headlamp. No, there's mm-hmm. everything in my pack is important to me. Yeah, but that's my mental checklist. If I don't have it, I'm not going. I yeah. can't go. Right. So uh, I can make do without a headlamp in one evening if I had to, or go home and get it afterwards if I needed it. You know. I just leave my trigger release on the bow. That yeah. way it can't. You know, it doesn't come off on its own usually. Yeah. Well, I I, I loop mine over my sight, and then it. Yeah, and that can't come off, because I'm always afraid you're of it unclipping or something, and I lose it somewhere else. You know. The other thing you can't forget is a uh, your harness. Yeah. So you don't fall out of the tree. I've yeah. done that. I haven't done it anymore. Fallen? These are things. No, or you forgot the harness. No. Hey, when I used to first start hunting, I didn't even I didn't wear one till I got up in the tree. I think that was really stupid. So how'd you, <laughs> oh, you put it on in the tree? Yeah. Ascended. Yeah. I would ascend and then put it on. Well, that's man. how that's how I was taught. My friend and I, wow. you know, he taught me hunting and you know, and then one day he changed my mind, like again, about fifteen, twenty years ago. He he called me up and he was like, So, uh my friend uh fell out of his tree and he um he got back to his truck and I, I think he died. Oh wow died or even he got paralyzed. It was a kid, it was a guy he worked with down at the uh, Indian Point um nuclear facility. And he was like, well, what happened was he fell out. So I would recommend, you know, probably climbing up with it on the tree the whole time. And I was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So so how do you how do you ascend and be clipped in? You put a running bowline on, like, and that's it. Running bowline's great because it cinches if you fall, and it, it can be undone as you ascend. Yep. So I don't know if what you do. A lot of people have some kind of special. I would just run a line around. Do they? Yeah, a lot of it, it's Yeah, people. It's like a just a little oh, uh, a like a lineman lineman's loop. Yeah, with a carabiner. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I just do a running bowline. Yeah, and it works great for me because then I use that when I get up there. Yeah, I don't I don't screw anything into the tree usually. I just run that around the tree above my head, yeah. and then I got my carabiner clip. If I I need need to hang my bow up or something, you know, while I'm getting situated, it clips in. Then it can't fall out. Oh, I think nice. that's how my bow fell out that one time. Is I knocked it off the hook that I put it on. What you don't if, have an extension hook. I thought it was too heavy to carry around. I, I had it, one. I put it in my boot. You know what I did? But you have to bring something like a screw. Yeah. To pre-drill because if it's 
you can only get away with it like on white pine where you don't have to pre-drill maybe but like any kind of hickory or sugar maple oh forget it you have yeah. to pre-drill the hole and then there's always that awkward time it's dark you know it's everything's quiet and you don't want to spook everything, and you have to turn your headlamp on to see where you just pre-drilled the stupid hole. See, uh, those are things that I'm just trying. I'm trying to simplify it as much as I can. So I've already had the other stuff with me. I got a carabiner, so I just clip it in, and then I can get situated. And then I hang on to my bow the whole time. Really? Yeah. Well, I also have my. Your stand have the. I don't hold on to my bow. You hold on to your bow while you're sitting in the tree stand. Uh, most of the time I do. If I don't, does your, your we have the same tree stand? Does your model? Yours is older than mine. Did it have? Oh. The the bow clip on the foot pedestal. Yeah, I think so. I, use I never it. use it. I use that when I when I don't want to hang on to it. But that's kind of rare. I usually have it across my lap and hang on to it. Huh? Yeah. I've never. I don't even know how it works. I'll be honest. I never used it. It's just a. It's a stud that comes straight off of the the platform of the tree stand, and it just slide that stud through one of the the cutouts in your cam. Okay, I don't know if I have that. You might not. <laughs> yeah, you might not. I, I feel like I asked because I feel like it was like a thing when I was buying. Like that was one of the selling points. I think mine has something rested on the floor of it, the bottom. Yeah, deck. well, that's what it is. But in the it, middle. No, this is towards the front. No, this is yeah. Well, towards the front middle. And then it, there's a stud. It slides through your your cam, and then you could uh. then the weight of the bow leaning forward slightly rests on the front of the the stand, huh. and then you can go hands free. You could still knock it off if you knock it with your knee or something so you got to be yeah. careful but uh if i, just, I gotta yeah. just take it up you know i just like i just like being able to reach out with my left hand it's right there yeah I, it's just something i'm used to i just got burned a few few <laughs> times it's like you ever could like try to reach out for it and they at like 60 yards you know a deer, deer sees, sees, it. sees you do that's like how how did you see that yeah they do see it and it is muscle memory like i um when i got a doe a few weeks ago i told you i did not think i was gonna see anything right it's been quiet for like hours now and you know it's like when you first start hunting you can't hear anything i can't hear anything i'm not i'm just not attuned to what's going on yeah uh, i can't see my eyes are tired they don't focus in well it takes like a good few weeks for my eyes to adjust and then i can see movement very subtle so anyway i'm just sitting there kind of like i'm probably not gonna see any deer i'm already thinking about what i'm gonna do when i get out of the tree all the things i gotta do at home what i'm gonna do tomorrow where am i gonna go hunt next this you know this is not working out blah 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 who cares and I hear like the slightest, subtlest leaf. And without even thinking about it, I just reached over and grabbed my bow. And I was like, but it was like it happened out of muscle. Like like my yeah. body heard it, but my brain didn't realize it. And I was like, if I reached, <laughs> if my body reached, there must be a deer. Because, <laughs> I, I, again, I wasn't processing it. And there was? And there was. <laughs> it wasn't a squirrel? Freaking deer. <laughs> no, it was three of them. Wow. And I ended up shooting her. And, and I was just like, I can't believe that, huh. you know? But. So that that's where you're at, like this time of year when you've been hunting for a month or so. Oh yeah, I've know. got it down now. Like I'm really, really accurate telling the difference between a squirrel and a deer. Because you know when you first get up in the first sit, you're like on pins and needles. Like every little noise you're looking at, like this could it be squirrel? Squirrel? No, another squirrel. Chipmunk. <laughs> uh, now it's like some of them I don't even look for. Like that's definitely a squirrel behind me. Yeah, that's a squirrel. <laughs> that's a squirrel. Oh, that's a deer. <laughs> yep. 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 And then, so the other night, I had, I'm sitting there, it's just before dark, and I'm thinking about getting down, and then I hear something. And I'm like, well, I gotta sit here long enough to see what it is, and I'm listening, I was like, that's definitely not a squirrel. Yeah. But it's definitely not a deer. And I just couldn't figure it out. I was like, maybe it's a squirrel. But then it got really loud, and really, 
you know, progressively closer and, you know, coming right at me. I'm like, that's not a deer. And uh, I couldn't figure it out until I saw it. It was a bear. Oh, it was a bear. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, but, so my, my, my ears were so in tune, I couldn't, I was playing tricks on my brain trying to figure out what yeah. it was. They almost walk like humans sometimes. Yeah, it's kind of what it would sound like. Yeah. And it had cubs, so there's a ton of noise. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't, couldn't put it all together. Yeah. I know, it's crazy. I've heard one of those when I was up in the mountains once. It sounded like a guy pacing back and forth. And lo and behold, other side in the hollow. It was just a big black bear digging underneath rocks and stuff. Mm. And literally going back and forth. Yep. But, um, yeah. So I saw saw four four bears this weekend. Crazy. A lot of bears. A lot of fox and coyote for me. Yeah. And the fox, their sound is like, they kind of, they kind of like, I don't know how to describe how they walk through the woods, but it's like they almost prance kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah. They do that high-legged thing. Right. You know? Yeah, like a trotting pace, like a kind of a gait of a horse, but not really. Yeah, it's strange. Saw a coyote up close a couple times, and uh, I I aimed in on one at once, but I was like, I'm not going to shoot a coyote. I I thought about it. I I, I would use the hide, but I I wasn't, you know, I was after meat, so I wasn't going to do it. But um, they're pretty. But tonight we're talking about deer to table, and we're going to talk a lot about deer probably tonight. But uh, yeah, let's talk about how what happens after you shoot the deer, right? Yeah, and on your first hunt, it's it's like you don't even want to shoot a deer on your first uh, your first night out, right? I, I get it's been that. Been a year since you did it. It's been a year since you did it, and you just got out. You may only have that tag or maybe not or whatever and you just you don't want it to be done you don't want to go through the whole process sometimes i feel like i haven't earned it yeah you know i've had i've had times where you go out the first the first sit and in the first 30 minutes of the first sit you have an opportunity and it's like well okay (laughs) i'm just not ready to kill something no i me too i feel the same way you know and just not into it um i i know time wise i i want to be into it because you know your time is limited and and you know you know you're running out of time, you know, I have to get back and watch kids or do whatever. So you're like, all right, well, I need to kill a deer, but I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know? that's an awkward pressure to have. But. Yeah. Yeah, it just it takes a good, I would say at least three hunts or so before I'm like just pissed off enough from waiting where I'm like, all right. Right. Let's do this now. <laughs> it's happening tonight. You know, you know it's like. Or you're like, well, I got to get up tomorrow morning, go hunt, you know, so I got to get up at like 4.30 or whatever. And then all of a sudden it occurs to you, well, I could kill one tonight, and then I wouldn't have to do that. Right. So let's kill one tonight. Yeah, let's kill one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, ever, uh, you ever just feel like tonight, you just know it, tonight's the night, and it, and it does come together? Like I called it uh, when I got my doe a couple weeks ago. I said to my wife when I was getting up in the morning, I was like, it's going to happen this morning. It just feels right. Yeah. It feels right today, and it happened. It was like yeah. it was meant to be. It was e- seemed easy. Yeah, I keep saying it every year, but this year I, I kind of had to get an earlier start than I wanted to because I'm going away in the first week of December, so that cuts into my season. But for me, it's I say it every year, it's not even worth hunting until the last week of October, first week of November. There's so much more action in the woods. Like right now it's just it's crazy. You know, the deer, they kind of ignore their main <laughs> sense of protection which is smell when the bucks are chasing them all over the place i'm not going to say they're not smelling i'm not going to say that they don't get spooked that they you know they do but they will ignore it sometimes if they're being chased 
by this big animal that can run almost as fast as them and can sen- has a sense of smell just like them and knows their game plan. And that's the almighty white-tailed buck who's just <laughs> like an idiot running through the woods trying to get these does down. And the does don't know what, you know, if they're not in estrus, meaning hot to trot, they're, they don't know what's going They're like, what is going on here? i got to get away from this guy. Uh-huh. And that's why they're not in their, their prime feeding grounds a lot of times, right? I mean, all those all those fields you saw them that are still green, they're not in them as much because they can be seen, not by just hunters, but by that big buck who keeps harassing them. Yeah, they're, they're vulnerable. The, the spot I hunted the other night was as thick as I can find because I knew it. I mean, and they weren't coming. It was above the field. It was as thick a cover as I can possibly find to sit in. And I did it. I saw a bunch of deer in there. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think they're just hiding out. <laughs> I think so. Yep. I mean, we kind of know this, but we, we kind of forget that, that, that they are scared of these bucks. They they run from them un- until they are they don't want to run. Until they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then they stop, and then it's over, and then the buck moves on. It <laughs> perpetuates the circle of life. But, yeah, we're talking about from deer to table. And so a little background. I got a lot of this information a long time ago from Charles Alzheimer. He's a writer and photographer of Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine. But really, I'm just using it as a baseline so we can talk about what we find anecdotally as well. But uh, some background, 6 million deer are harvested each year. And how are they converted to deer, meat, or venison? And what's cool, just so you know, I mean, 6 million deer are harvested. I don't know how many meals that translates into. But, you know, I just wanted to put this into context for a second. Like, all the meat you buy in the store is supposedly USDA inspected and all this. And think about all of the deer hunters out there Yeah, that kill deer and parade them around in trucks and, and all this stuff and how few people get sick. Knock on wood, hopefully my kids and myself never get sick. But I just want to say that for the most part, it's it's pretty safe. It is. And it, without any oversight, and that's pretty cool. I you know. just want to put that out there. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're getting hung up in garages, cut up in basements. Anything you can find. Uh-huh. Right, in the field, in the leaves, sometimes. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day too, because I had a, um, I had to stop in New Paltz after I got my deer, and I was in the village, and this person's walking their dog through the bank parking lot, and it stops, and it's, she's like, "She really likes you." I was like, "I don't think so. She wants what's in that truck." And they just looked at me and had no idea what what, what I meant by that. Uh huh. But it made me realize, like, growing up, like, I kind of hit the very tail end of this. But I remember going to gas stations in the mid early '80s, and you'd see like a deer sprawled out on someone's hood. Right. <laughs> and I don't think that was the greatest thing because you know it's warming the meat. But at the same time, it kind of got kids used to hunting. Like you had to. You're like, oh yeah, people do kill deer. Yeah. You know, and they're probably gonna eat it. And but now it's so it's so uh, secretive. Like I had it in the back of my truck in the cap. No one knows it's there. And I feel like it's a, it's it's you know it's mostly beneficial, but it also does a disservice to people familiarizing people with hunting. You know what I mean? Right, and it becomes a foreign concept if yeah. you can't see it and it's not there. Yeah, I mean, because when I get a deer, I try to get you know the kids to look at it and stuff, and 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 they're fine with it. They get used to it. It's adults that you know once once they're not used to it, maybe then it's harder to go back. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, six million in the U.S. Uh, New York regular reports. Excuse me, about 235,000 of those. Yeah. That's a lot. 225,000 deer in per, New York. Per year. Yeah. Yeah, harvested by hunters. Right, and that translates into a lot of meals. 
Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, it's, you know, if you're living in the northeast, eastern United States, you know, if you, it's all about deer as far as hunting and, and eating wild meat. If you're, you know, west of Pennsylvania into Ohio or west of Ohio, it starts to become the almighty, what, elk? Mule deer, elk, anything yeah. past the Mississippi, that's what you're going to find. Yeah, which is, is awesome. But here it's it's the white-tailed deer. So, um, you know, where does the uh, venison start? starts in the woods, obviously. And you want a mixture of habitats. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't realize we have fewer deer than we used to because we have maturing forest and there's just less sunlight in the forest floor, which translates to fewer plants. And that doe, it's really counterintuitive because you think think you know more forest should equal more deer, but it's the type of forest. So it's not necessarily hunting that's making the numbers dwindle over the last thirty years, but that doe instead of having triplets has twins or maybe just one deer, one fawn, or none. And now you mix bears into the habitat, and that does, you know, that mixes things up. But even before bears were an issue, I think your numbers had peaked due to maturing forest. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, it's a common theme you hear from anybody keeping records at a hunting club. I know of three in the area that all say the same thing. that They were bigger deer, bigger antlers, older deer um, through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then anything past that just gets smaller and more rare over time yeah and i think there are old bucks out there now because people are passing up on them you know quality mm-hmm. deer management but um you know it takes a lot of time to get those few older bucks you know out there uh i think weights have gone down the sheer weights um i don't know i you know there's unfortunately there's not that much data on that out there yeah maybe the scales were wrong but you know the club i'm in uh we've got deer in the 50s and 60s that the chart says they weighed 180, 185. I've never seen a 180 inch or 180 uh, pound deer dressed in uh, in this part of the state ever. Wow. Uh, I mean, the biggest ones in our camp that are coming in now are peaking out like 165, 168. So yeah. it's a 12 to 20 pound difference. So you know, you know, in the upper elevations of the Catskills, like where you're hunting, it's it may, mainly northern hardwood forest, maple, beech. Yellow birch, hemlock, and uh, you know you got beech nuts, but not not many acorns. So the diet is is limited. Right. And no like no agriculture. Years. No ag. Zero. Right. No fields. No grazing. Stuff like that. So the better the habitat, the higher the carrying capacity is to hold more deer while preserving forest health. So um, before the kill. So what makes a good tasting deer? I guess. Right. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. All right. Sure. Well, this guy, Alzheimer, he says there's three things. There's age, there's how far it ran before dying, and the curing, which we would call hanging. Right? Yep. Yeah. All very controversial, except for age, I think. Although some people even want to argue about age. I, I disagree with them, but whatever. Each to their own. Age. So young deer are naturally, according to Alzheimer, more tender than older. I don't know. I, I have to think that's true. I mean, No. Yeah, I don't know where the tipping point is, but there's no doubt a a, uh, a six month old deer is a quite tender deer. Right. I mean, that's where I've, veal cows come from, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I've I've had the definitely the opportunity to eat some, you know, what once was a fawn in in July August is now a, a young young you know six month old deer now. Yeah. I've eaten a few of those, and they are they are very tender, very good. 
I guess what's the difference between a year and a half old deer, a two and a half year old deer, or a three and a half year old deer plus? I don't know. Subtle. Yeah. I don't think it's it's could be measured uh, with our taste buds. Me, anecdotally, I think the best is a two and a half year old deer because it has the big muscle groups and it's still very tender. Three and a half, I can't say. I did get a deer, I think that was three and a half plus once in my life. And again, it's anecdotal. It's the worst tasting deer I ever had. I think that was a very old deer, though. I've gotten three that are definitely that old. Three and a half. Three and a half plus. One was likely older than that. I think four or so. Yeah. So the only one of those three, I would say, were poor. And I th- think it had more to do with uh, it was wounded when I shot him. I think it was other things going on, outside factors. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with the age but that one we were talking about this in the truck the other day uh your deer and my deer that i'm talking about were both almost inedible <laughs> it was bad i listen it, back then especially it would take a lot for me not to eat venison because i was just i was just so proud to get a deer yeah so not to eat it and i tried canning it i mean if it doesn't taste good canned i i don't know you can't tenderize it if you can't can it but hanging that we'll talk about later can be the thing that reverses some of this maybe even an older deer. But, man, a year and a half, a two-and-a-half-year-old doe, it's just always good. Always. Consistent, yep. It's always good. I don't know. Again, anecdotal. can't really say does versus bucks, but I feel like a lot of those does I've eaten are pretty good. You know, and, and like, what's the comparison? Because it's so rare to shoot an older deer anyway. I mean, most people are getting what we're just talking about, year-and-a-half, two-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, that's almost, I would say that's 90-plus percent. Yeah, what, I used to know these kill. numbers, what the actual, like, probability of seeing a three-and-a-half-plus-year-old buck. And they used, Q, QDMA used to have these numbers per state and area and stuff, and it was Well, like, they do. They still now, like, the yeah. harvest data, and it's they're, they're proud to boast that nationwide it's, it's the tipping point is greater than two-and-a-half-year-old for bucks nationwide, but only by, like, 51% or 53% yeah, no, of, I, of deer I, harvested, but— of the sighting rate, I mean, that's what and, I mean, and, sighting rate. No, I don't know that. Yeah, I, I thought I thought I, I took the deer steward course uh, years back, week long course with them, and and I remember them talking about, it, and it was like the probability is a lot lower than people think. It's pretty damn low. See a three and a half year old plus buck. I do a, quite a lot of hunting. I think more than well most people, most hunters in this region do. If you're working, you know, every every day. Well, I've, okay, so I've been out maybe, I don't know, 10, 10 times or so. Yeah. And out of all those 10 times, the last time I hunted was the first time I saw what I would say was a three-and-a-half-year-old buck. Well, I was about to say, I, I bank every year to have one encounter per year of a of a mature buck like that. And yeah. that's on my average. It's like, yeah, it happens once per year and about consistently, just once. And yeah. it could be a glimpse, could be a sighting. Could be an actual encounter, you know, near miss, almost got him kind of thing. Uh, and, yeah, it's rare. That's a sighting. Sighting. That's almost 40 hours of hunting because I do about three to four hour sits mm-hmm. each. So, yeah, it's a, it's almost 40 hours, a week of work <laughs> of, of before just seeing a buck. Just to see one, let alone get yeah. an opportunity at him, right? Yeah, it could have happened. Hey, that's why you hunt because it could happen. Yep. But um, so, you know, maybe their diet has something to do with it, age. But, yeah, so one is age, how far it ran before dying, and curing. So, yeah, usually younger deer are probably more tender. But, um, you know, who knows. The second thing is how far it ran before dying. And um, 
There are ethical reasons for not wounding deer. Obviously, no one wants to really. No one wants to wound a deer. I've never. If they if they do, I've never met that person who wants to wound a deer. Yep. You know, you want it to go through the boiler room, which is the lungs and or the heart, and that's it, right? Yeah, that's what we're going for. <laughs> How far do they usually go on a? Uh, we're talking bow season here, so on a on a shot that goes through the lungs or on a heart. shot like that, yeah, sixty yards or less typically. Yeah. Yep. On a rifle, 10 yards or less. Yeah. Can be. You look at your arrow, and, you know, you can see kind of what happened, depending on the hair and smell of the arrow, kind of blood, dark red versus light red, oxygenated bubbles, lungs, really dark red, not much blood, probably what, liver? Liver. If If it's got gritty stuff in it and brown, it's you hit the gut. Yep. If it's red and... But a deep red, it's likely muscle, non-lethal. Yeah, the old brisket shot. Yeah, brisket. Or, or backstrap. Top of backstrap. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, that happened once, yeah. Once? Happened yeah. to me once, yep. I went, sucked. Yeah. He ran away, and I was like, I'm never finding that deer. And I should say, I put a trail camera out, right? Yeah. I got a picture of that deer two weeks later, oh, cha- yeah. in full chase, doing deer stuff, chasing a doe. I'm like, well, he's fine. <laughs> no, I hit a deer in the backstrap once, and I think I killed this deer the next year with a rifle. Wow. Because when I looked at the backstrap, you could tell something cylindrical passed through it, totally huh. healed. Wow. They're not like us. You know, a lot of times we want to compare other animals to ourselves. Deer are just, they're completely different. Mm-hmm. Every hunter knows you make a bad shot, and I mean a bad shot that's not fatal. You'll you'll track them, you'll track them, and they'll, they'll clot. Quickly. They'll stop bleeding. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's insane. And They're the, just amazing. The amount of deer I've processed, which is a lot of deer between you know me and my family all these years. There's a lot of deer that I've seen. But I can count probably about a half a dozen that we've found you know, foreign material in, yeah. like other bullets yeah. or, or broadheads or pieces of something else. That pellets. Pellets. Just like these deer – it's unfortunate, but yeah, they make it. They just keep living. No, I got a deer by my house a few years back. It had air rifle pellets. Someone was shooting that deer Probably with an all. air rifle. Yeah, trying to get it off his bird feeder or something. Yeah, darn. Oh, yeah, that's cruel. <laughs> well, it sucks because you spit. You know, they're they're in the meat. Right, and they're lead. Yeah, they're lead. It's not good. But um, so the reason why why does it matter on the meat how far it ran? All right. So there's there's a little chemistry going on here. Um, supposedly when a deer runs for a while after wounding, it expends its glycogen reserves and mm. the pH level of the meat increases, speeding bacterial growth. According to John Stransky, USDA Forest Service forester, wounding or simply the threat of danger can accelerate the animal's heartbeat and constrict visceral blood vessels. It floods the deer's muscles with blood. Okay, and then there's the buildup of lactic acid and pyruvic acid. And basically what happens is these metabolic wastes are put into the blood, and that can cause gaminess. Hmm. Amazing. Makes sense. I mean, I've always heard. I don't know if it's true. I don't live in a slaughterhouse. But, um, you know, when they slaughter cows, they, they do it like they, so that, you know, they want them to not even know what's going on. Very calm, relaxed. Is that true? I don't know. Well, that's what they use a captive bolt gun, I believe, right? Is that right? Yeah. It's just a prod that goes in and out of the brain and done. Right. So to probably avoid maybe that metabolic waste dump into the bloodstream. I don't know. So, all right. 
cost the game. So the taste of the deer depends upon what happened in the seconds, minutes, etc., leading up to the animal's death. And according to Alzheimer, this also determines how the animal should be cured, which is hanging. And we're going to talk about hanging next on From the Forest. Tonight's topic is deer to table. Hanging is probably the most controversial, you know? Yeah. I mean, people head up, hang down, when to hide off, leave the hide on. So, yeah, we'll talk about that next. God, I sure do wish you'd bless America again. You know, like you did way back when it all began. You blessed her then, but we just sort of kind of took it for granted and never did ask again. So God, just hold her hand, that's all. And if she should stumble, please don't let her fall. There's a lot of things you don't understand But let me say this, God She's like a mother to me And all I am or ever hope to be I owe to you and to her Wash her All right, that's Loretta Lynn, and uh, may God bless America again. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., and tonight's topic is Deer to Table. And, uh, yeah, maybe we can clean up uh, America's face by uh, taking down all these daggone lawn signs littering the Catskills. That's right. I am so tired of seeing them. It's over. Clean them up. Jesus Christ. We got. Does anyone know we're in the computer age now? Like you can look <laughs> stuff up, see who's running? Yeah. Just saying. Amount of lawn signs. Make good targets. That's what I use them for. Take them. Great targets, man, because they stand up on their own freely. Yep. And you can just shoot them down. Yep. I've got a uh, real estate one. They're a little stronger. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was at the rental house. Well, rental house I moved into a couple of years ago, and I just kept that. Yeah. I mean, geez, everywhere you drive, there's five, six of them. It's like, okay, I got it. <laughs> 
My goodness. But anyway, this is uh, from the forest, and we're talking about deer to table. And so we talked about what, what dictates our, or influences the taste of venison, and one is the age of the animal. And, right, usually younger is a little more tender, but, uh, you know, most people are shooting either a one-and-a-half or two-year, two-and-a-half-year-old deer. And then the second would be how far it ran afterwards. And then, as in a little aside, obviously you should gut the animal right away because that's what's holding in all the heat. So if you get all that stuff out, the deer's just going to cool down a lot faster, right? So yep. I think most people know that you need to gut that thing. And I got to say, man, I got that swing blade. I love that thing. You never can pierce the gut because you got it when you go in there. You, you don't want to go too deeply. Otherwise, whammo, you're yep. right in the cavity, gut cavity. Yep. Right? So, all right. I don't know. This guy claims, and this is controversial, before we get to the hanging part, the third part's the hanging or curing. Before we get there, he's saying rinse it out with water. Some hunters say, yeah, you should rinse it out with water. I have a friend who does that. Seems like a good idea. I'm not. I'm on the fence. I don't know. And then some people say, do not rinse it out because you're introducing water to the animal in a condition to get more bacterial growth. What do you say, John? I don't ever rinse them out unless you know unless the gut was pierced. I'll try to get that off. But we talked about this earlier, and then I just came to realization like. Even if you did pierce it, it's not touching any any meat. And there's no meat inside the gut cavity other hey, than the inner loins. Inner line. But um, th- even if you hit the guts, they were they were bound by the diaphragm separating. So you can be careful is what I'm saying and not yeah. make contact with any of that. So you shouldn't have to. So I, I'd never do as long as uh, the guts weren't severed in any way. And they're usually not. But you never know. Sometimes it happens. Um, yeah. What do you do? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't anymore. I I used to if there was a stream, but I just feel like I again. I, this is not rational. That like introducing water to it, it creates more of an environment for bacterial to grow to grow and stuff. Yeah. So I don't. And you, if you're using a stream or a pond or whatever that yeah. you drug the deer near, I mean, what, what? How good was that water? Where'd that water come from? What's in that that yeah. you don't know about? I mean, I would do a cold stream. Usually, I'm near a mountain stream. I agree, but still, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you got to boil stuff too, right? Right. You don't so know. I, you just don't know what's upstream. Sometimes I don't know. So that you know, if someone does know the answer, please let us know. You know, call the office at Catskill Forest Association and maybe like to know what you're thinking. But um, all right. So curing or hanging, and this is where it gets kind of dicey, and I really don't know. Also, I, what I have learned is I used to never hang deer because no. I always shot young deer. You know, you, you know, I, I went after the young doe or you know two and a half year old doe, and yeah, sometimes I got a buck once in a while. But you know, I always heard it has the temperatures have to be perfect. It's got to be like in the hot. You don't want it above forty during the day, and it's got to be above freezing and blah blah blah. So I never really did. So you quarter it and put it and debone it right away. And I would do everything. Right, that away. was crazy. Yeah. Yep. And I have to say, texturally, I don't know if it made the best venison. Okay. But again, I was just happy to be eating my own meat that I got, right? Sure. So, but the texture was not as good. All right? So I started hanging. And my neighbor told me this, and, and uh, he's, he's a lot older than me, and I didn't believe it at first. But he's like, well, if it gets cold at night, leave the hide on, and it'll suck in that cold, 
and it, it'll insulate it. And I'm thinking, how the hell does that work? The deer is warm. Isn't it holding in the warmth? But he's right. I totally agree with him now. Mm-hmm. Because if it gets down in the 30s, upper 20s, yeah, the hide, once it gets cold, that meat, it actually, even if it gets up in the 50s and 60s during the day, it, it does hold in that cold. What do you think? I totally agree. I mean, you've yeah. got a hollow cavity. The guts are out of it. All that air can can you know maximize surface area to cool the animal initially. Yeah. And then it's got a blanket on it. A blanket. It's going to stay cool. You know, the... You know, settlers held ice till July and August in an ice house packed in sawdust. You know, insulation works. It does, yeah. I mean, it was really warm uh, Monday. Got to 72. So it did not get very cold at night. So I had to buy ice and stuff the cavity with sure. ice. There's times for that. And, uh, you know, even if you're even if you're hanging it in a garage and say it's like, you know, the high temperature of the day is going to be 65 and yeah. sunny. It takes this time of year. It takes all day to hit sixty-five. You know, Usually, it, yeah. it was it was twenty-three degrees at my house this morning. It was into the twenties through most of the morning. Yeah, and then finally broke into the fifties by like just you know in time for it to start cooling off again. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, as long as that deer's not in the sun, it's undercover under a garage roof or something. Uh, it's it's never going to be exposed to that temperature for very long, and it's not going to as long as it cooled off overnight and we've got now 13 plus hours of, of nighttime now. Yeah. So it's cold, cold all night long and it just doesn't have the time to heat back up. So you're not, you don't have a problem. I was reading on this one thread that um, people put black pepper on it to ward away. Um, demons, bugs and stuff. Oh no. <laughs> I heard that with jerky too. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why I like everything's like, peppered. Yeah. Huh? I don't know. Makes sense. Um, I've never had a problem. It's never that warm usually. I True. mean, it was abnormally warm Monday, it so was. I actually put it on there because I didn't want to take any chances. Gotcha. And there was flies like flying around. Mm-hmm. They didn't land once I put it on there. I don't know. Could be. But um, also, I feel like the hide on there keeps you know everything away from it. You know, it's clean. Yeah, it's clean. Yep. So I mean, especially in, I've seen deer in garages, dairy barns. Just you know, after a couple of days in a barn. There's some dust stirred up, and yeah, it's uh, you want that hide on to keep everything protected as long as you can, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, true. Oh, or you transfer it again, say you hung it in one spot, but you're going to process it at another. Now it's got to go back in the truck bed. I've seen that before. So, when would you take the hide off if the, you had perfect temperatures, like minutes before you're going to yeah. process it? Keep it on, but I mean, for most hunters, like if you had a walk in cooler, you could take the hide off. Oh, yeah, if you're in climate controlled and an insect controlled environment, sure, that dust control. Sure. Now, some guys are doing that with air conditioners and stuff, creating little rooms, right? I've seen that. Yeah. I don't know. But so how long to hang? And preferably people claim 10 to 15 days, but that the hide has to be, you know, in a, or a carcass has to be in a temperature controlled, you know, 34 to 37 degrees. No one, no one usually has that. So you should at least hang, it says, you know, everywhere I read. Until the deer has gone through at least rigor mortis. Right. Right? Is that what you're finding? That's what the consensus is. Uh, I did a little research on uh, University of Auburn doing some studies on, this was cows, but they were finding that, yeah, if it didn't go through rigor, there's a there's a tenderness test they do with a calibrated machine, right? They punch a hole through it, and they can actually <laughs> test the exact 
you know, minute differences in me and they found that before rigor is, is really where the, the break point was where you're not going to gain, you're not going to gain anything exponential after that. Okay. And that usually is somewhere in the like, uh, two to four day range, depending on temperature and conditions yeah. it's hanging in. Yeah. I was reading with deer. It's about 20, at least 24 hours, 24 hours, depending yeah. on temperature. And these were cows they were doing it with. So I mean, they're yeah. much bigger. Maybe it takes longer to go through rigor. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and temperature matters. Like it got up in the seventies Monday. So I was like 24 hours, like maybe stretching it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So but what'd you do? So I, I, I hung it for a little over 24 hours because of work. And now the, you quartered it? I quartered it up and now it goes into a cooler. And that is one of the best things I've ever started doing, you know, because bow season happens in warmer seasons. Mm-hmm. So I let it hang to get through rigor mortis and then I quartered it up. And, and what you do is you put it in a, in a big cooler and I have a bathtub in my sugar house. And then I put it, I elevate it on a slant, mm-hmm. stick some firewood under it, open up the drain plug, fill it with ice so the, so now it doesn't have as much of a humid environment and the, and the melted ice can go away. Yeah. And then I put in trash bags the quarters. Yes. I learned that the hard way because if you don't put it in the trash bag, it gets really wet. And, you know, venison's already... Deer meat is already wet enough. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's probably one advantage if you could hang a deer without the hide that you would get that drying out effect more. But I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, lot of debate of dry aging, wet aging, the time differences between the two. I don't know. I got to uh, figure dry aging just feels like it would be better. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but you're going to have to cut off some of that, right? You're going to have loss because of that. Yeah. And... I don't know. I just, uh, I don't, I, something I can't answer. I don't know. But, but to be honest, on a deer, you're usually taking off the outside anyway because there's silver skin everywhere. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know? You're going to cut that off. Uh, my process is very similar, the same, really. Um, if it can hang, I'm going to hang it as long as I can. If not, I do the cooler thing. Unscented trash bags. I've seen someone make this mistake of using their lemony fresh ones from the kitchen. Oh, yeah. It tainted the meat. It was not good. Really? Yeah, it wasn't me, but yeah, don't, don't. Unscented bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that was obvious, but I guess not. Right. Um, and then we try to do a nine-day minimum. I just we we think that's a sweet spot. We, my wife and I, we we process anywhere from four to seven deer of our own a year, and usually involved in somebody else's deer along the way too. So it's not uncommon for me to handle ten deer a year, oh, right? Wow. With Amazing. with other people, and it's I've found that. I just think nine days is the sweet spot for what tastes and is tender and makes everything so consistent. I think it levels the playing field on yeah. all these other factors where you can take out any cut of meat off of any deer and have any type of meal with it um, and know what you're getting into. Yeah. It's now you no longer think, well, this was the three-and-a-half-year-old buck that ran 200 yards and then died. Maybe he's gamey and blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. I just take a steak out. I cook a steak, and I'm having venison steak tonight. Yeah, I I, I eat more steak than just in a frying pan now. Yeah. Whereas I don't think I could get away with that years back. But the nice thing about quartering it up, and putting it in the cooler, is you don't have to do the whole thing at once. That's the best part. I mean, you can do one quarter at a time, and you know, just spend a half hour instead of like, oh, I need a four hour block to do this or whatever, and. Um, you know, you do it leg by leg until you get to the last leg. <laughs> That's where these sayings come from, John. I, I get it. You know? 
And I start with the ones that I'm going to uh, grind up first. Me so too. that's the front quarters. Do one leg. Do one the other front quarter or leg. And then uh, and then I go with the back straps because they're not going to get much better. They're, they're already tender. Right. So they're, they're, they're awesome. So. And they're off the bone. They're there. They're like wanting yeah. to become packaged. <laughs> I do that the second day or third day. And then uh, then do one hind quarter over two days. So the hind quarters were, I think, 60 to 65% of your deer's meat are. Right. So you take five, day, five days to process plus the two days you hung it. So you're, you're at seven to nine days. You're right there. You're in the sweet yeah. spot. And the hind quarter, like I said, is where most of the meat is, and there's some really good cuts in there. Right. Uh, yeah, backstrap's great. Don't get me wrong. It's my favorite. But there's some cuts in that, in that like London broils, whatever you want to call them, top rounds, bottom rounds. Yep. They're awesome. They are really good cuts. Excellent. And they're in the hind quarter. Package them whole cuts. Whole cuts. Yeah, let's talk about butchering next. Okay. All right? Yeah, if you're just tuning in, you're listening from the forest, and we're talking about deer to table. Well, I got one here called putting meat on the table. That's been an argument of my wife all along. Me spending so much money on deer, and I always tell her I'm putting meat on the table. So don't mess with me. Anyway, it goes like this. I've been hunting since I was a kid. I was taught by my old man. All I needed was a 22 rifle to put meat in the pan. We ate lots of squirrel and rabbit. We ate quail and turkey, too. We even ate a few prairie chickens, and I did it all with a dog named Duke. Now that I'm grown, it's different. I ain't restricted to a 22. I bought me a 357 Magnasty and a couple of shotguns, too. I bought me a 4x4 pickup truck, and then I had it painted camo. Then I bought a tent and a camp stove and a thousand rounds of ammo. Then me and my pals got a deer lease, and that was 500 bucks a head. Then we each bought an ATV, and then we bought a fold-up bed. Then it was 800 miles to the deer lease, and gas was 299.9. There was food and skeeter repellent. I put it all on this card of mine. Then we set up our deer feeder. We had 1,000 pounds of feed. Then we all hunkered down in the bushes to see what we could see. After a while in the bushes, my booty got numb and raw. It was really hard to get comfortable, but soon I began to nod. I was snoozing there in my deer stand when I almost spilt my beer. Cause I thought I heard a buck snort and I woke up eye to eye with a deer. Well, I bagged that big old son of a buck. I shot him right between the eyes. Even took a bunch of pictures so I wouldn't be accused of lies. When our hunting trip was over, we all finally bagged a deer. We broke camp and headed for home because we was almost out of beer. Well, I got home and pulled in the yard. I was grinning from ear to ear. My little wife had her hands on her hips. She accused me of drinking beer. I said, hey, I'm putting meat on the table, so don't you make a sound. She said, yeah, you're putting meat on the table, all right, and it costs a thousand bucks a pound. <laughs> so maybe that guy's not safe of money by hunting deer. <laughs> He's not far off for most people. <laughs> no, there, there's definitely that going on. I bought a new rangefinder, $1,000 rangefinder, whatever the hell they are. Yeah, I had to buy the $10,000 ATV. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, and then the trailer. Oh, and I didn't have a truck, so I had to buy the the sixty thousand dollar truck to tow it all. Yep. This is <laughs> this is a real thing. Um, I think uh, before we get into the butchering aspect, John, that you want to talk about, this is old data, but shoot, I think um, the USDA, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. This is again ten years ago. The average fifty percent of hunters kill about one plus deer per year. Uh, so every other year, one hunter kills one animal every other year. Average hunter gets about sixty pounds of venison from one deer. I don't, I don't buy that in our area. It's maybe half of that. Jeez. Yeah, they're factoring in, I think, mule deer and big northern whitetail. Yeah, that's not happening. If a hunter kills one deer, then the cost would be about seventeen hundred dollars an animal, <laughs> or twenty nine dollars and fifty cents a pound, according to the Fish and Wildlife Service. Is that uh, take into account lost wages from work? No. <laughs> so there's a way to hunt deer and there's a way not to and uh obviously you know you can write this off as recreation or opportunity cost of what you would have done otherwise but uh yeah so let's talk about the butchering aspect so we talked about the age of the deer we talked about what happens to it before it dies that matters and then the hanging so what about butchering now so you got your deer quartered up it's getting ready to be packaged how do you do it so all right one thing to remember is that venison is the easiest cut of meat easiest species to screw up in the pan uh if you overcook it you get dry it out and it's done it's awful and that's i think where people become distasteful of venison why is that why is it hard to why is it easy to mess up well it just becomes extra firm well once you get it past anywhere past medium rare um medium or well done it becomes so tough lignin and just not lignin but tough and uh Hard to chew. And you got to sear the outside, and the flavor changes when that happens. It's just, it's just all around bad. Don't do it. You got to sear the outside, right? Sear the outside. Hold those moisture in. That's right? the most. Yeah, you create that crust on the outside and and flip it right away all around. Yeah, Ryan and I cooking cast iron now. Get it off the grill. It's not not as good. I don't find it. I mean, I'm sure some people did, but yeah, it works for me in cast iron. Yep. Get um, the pan really hot. Yep, and you could reverse sear it too. You know, cook it real low and slow in like a d- little Dutch oven for, uh, you know, a little while, and then sear it when it's done. Let it sit. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Also, I like venison, not like bacon on everything. Yeah, don't wrap it in bacon. Jeez, don't ruin <laughs> and, it. Listen, nothing against people. Like, listen, I like I'll, if you put bacon cut uh, wrapped venison from me, I'm gonna eat it. Sure, I'm not. I'm you're, not you're eating bacon. I'm not. I'm not stupid. I'm just snobby. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um no i'm just kidding but i do like taste of venison yeah yeah so me too. i do like it seared and i like a good steak just along with butter man but anyway yeah. you were saying um so ways to help prevent this uh problem from occurring is keep whole muscle cuts um a couple reasons aside from that less packaging material right and when you take a steak out, you're usually feeding a couple people, or you're going to have multiple meals out of it. So you can yeah. thaw it and then cut it into a smaller size when it's thawed. Yeah. So saves freezer space, it stacks better, less packaging material, less packaging to be done, saves time. A lot of benefits to that. So then cut it up, whatever you're going to cut the steak into after you thaw it, and prep it for meals. Yeah. Keep the keep the cuts thick. I think people screw up by yeah you know, yeah. Thick, cutting bite-sized butterflies off, or whatever they do, like Medal- thick. medallion. I, I would, yeah, I would yeah. say an inch, inch and a quarter. Yeah, keep them thick. I got that from you, and I agree with it. It just cooks better that way. It's just harder to go over the over the cliff on on cooking too long. Three main points I want to say for the end of the show. We got about a minute and a half. 
one thing I've learned, just little tricks that work for me. Well, one, four, really. One I stole from you is I always use a flay knife now for, for butchering, mm-hmm. right? But each quarter, stick it in the freezer, flash freeze it. It won't freeze, but it gets it cold enough so where you, you can fillet off the um, the silver skin and the fat. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, if it's okay. firm, it'll help. Yep. Uh, second thing is um, when you have that quarter in front of you, and you're flaying off the sailor skin. Do it on both sides. That way you can see the muscle groups. Mm-hmm. Because if it's on there, you can't see them. Then, like another friend told me, use tension. We're not professional butchers. But if you use tension, put your fingers in there, then you can kind of separate the muscle groups using tension, and it'll come. It'll become more obvious where the cuts are. Yes. All right. And let me back up for the third one. We learned this from Jake Rosa, uh, a logger in the Catskills. You take a blow, a little torch or, or propane torch, and when the hide has been skinned, burn off the hair so you're not constantly battling hair on your meat. I that's the greatest thing I've learned in the last in the last few years, and that came from Jake. Yeah, shout yeah. out to him. Absolutely, and uh, that's all we have on from the forest tonight. Tonight's topic was deer to table, and good luck hunting. Good luck. Good night. Good night. The neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. And the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in from the forest. Up a dark and dingy staircase, the old man made his way. Ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear Upon his mantle shining WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Korea World on Main Street in Margaretville's historic Galley Kirchy Theater. Fine jewelry, handmade in store from reclaimed gold and silver, sustainable artisanal self-care wellness and beauty products, ceramics, apparel, and things with a home. Books and vinyl records. Open Wednesday through Sunday and online at Korea.world, K-R-I-A dot world. Chappie's Good Food on Main Street in Roxbury for lunch, dinner, and cocktails. And Chappie's sister restaurant, the Old Mill Steakhouse, just around the corner on Bridge Street. Chappie's open every day. The Old Mill Steakhouse, open on weekends. 607-326-7020 or chappiesgoodfood.com. Hi, this is Susan Shaw. And I'm Alan Vella. 
We go to New Orleans on All That Gumbo every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6. And you are listening to WIOX Roxbury. Live and local in New York's Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable Channel 20, and WIOXRadio.org.